And this is, you know, the 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 devil is Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. You know, the 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 man who's who's uh, just, you know, is is become addicted to his own gain. And he and he and right at the at the end of his his uh, essay, McCabe, in this passage, I, I it's just wonderful. Talks about how even in the process of overthrowing, you know, the the capitalist system, to put something else in in in, um, in place of it, you can continue to love your enemy, and I, very challenging. I don't think I'm really capable of that, but you know, maybe that's part of the the whole. But he says there uh, there is a paradox, but no contradiction. In being able, by the grace of God, to love the person you must fight. There is a paradox, but no contradiction, in having an enemy who must be destroyed, and yet who is not in any ultimate sense the enemy, but one for whom Christ also dies. There is a paradox, but no contradiction, in fact, in loving your enemies. And the paradox lies in God, who is not just the future, not just the transcendent towards which we strive, but is Emmanuel, God with us, the future, which is already with us, drawing us to himself. And I was just like, damn, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mic drop moment. That's a mic drop yeah, pretty moment. Pretty good stuff. <laughs> Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Today, uh, we've got um, a bit of an unusual guest. We're talking to John Thornton Jr. Am I pronouncing that correctly? That's that's all correct. Yeah, great. And John is is a uh, what is the word? A pastor or <laughs> yeah, a... That, that's correct. Damn, I'm knocking <laughs> them out. Baby. <laughs> Set them up, and I'm 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 whacking them out of the park today. I know all the words in the dictionary. Um, but John is a is a pastor, uh, and. Uh, unusually a, a self-identified socialist pastor. And so, you know, maybe, maybe you could sort of start us off by, by telling us, you know, um, how you got to that place of, of being an American socialist pastor in the South and uh, what that's like. I imagine that's a bit, a bit unfamiliar to, to most of our listeners. Yeah, it definitely uh, strikes people as a bit odd. So, um, I mean, the American part, I was born here um, and just didn't leave. So I guess that's that answers that. <laughs> Wait, and where's here? That portion of the question, that's maybe a little less unusual. Um, but uh, yeah, so I am a pastor at, at Jubilee Baptist Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We're in the process of replanting a congregation, um, Ephesus Baptist Church, which was started about 1891, and over the last few years, realized they needed a change. And wow. uh, I started a few months ago, and we uh, we actually start back worship uh, next Sunday. We're recording this on a Sunday, and so this this coming next Sunday, we actually start back worship. Um, just to give people kind of a sense of where I am and what I'm I'm doing. Did, did you just uh, did you just scrap a 130 year church and start a new one? Is that what? Is that what no, they they, they were. <laughs> You're like a few months in and like, you know what? 130 years of tradition out the window. They had, uh, the, the congregation had, had been struggling for a, a while as a lot of kind of smaller churches, uh, have been throughout America. Um, one of my best friends, Kevin had been the pastor there for about four years and, um, 
had been looking for like what they could do differently to, to kind of restart or do something new as a church. And it, it became more and more obvious that kind of closing down as the church was, was the best course of action, taking some time off and then starting as a new church. So I didn't just come in and like, all right, we're shutting down. <laughs> it's, it's like a, a merger and acquisition. And like, you know what? We're going right. to just no, gut the company. Still, Kevin's still there. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was not like a succession situation. Uh, so uh, as for me personally, the, the sort of journey, I think to, to bringing together sort of my commitments uh, as a, a Christian and then um, my yeah, democratic socialist politics. Um, I mean, there's a, a, a long story to it, as, as there are with all of our, you know, stories of how we formed our convictions. But um, I grew up evangelical in Dallas and um, in a Southern Baptist church. And um, and throughout, like, the early, I guess, in the mid-2000s, I graduated high school. And while in college, did a lot of ministries uh, with people in poverty, working people, um, and began to kind of deconstruct the faith that I had as a growing up evangelical. Um, and I would say over the course of about 10 years moved from a, uh, a theology that was very much in line with sort of the state and the status quo, um, to a real suspicion and a, a sense that Christians ought to live differently in the world. Um, that that means something for how we relate to the rich and the poor, uh, particularly the the poor and the working people, um, and then over the last I guess three to four years have come to see uh, those problems more closely identified. The problems that I was seeing identified as problems inherent to capitalism, um, and so I read uh, I read Marx's Capital uh, just before I started Divinity School, and that was a real revelation that was right as occupy was going on so oh man i guess it's been about eight years uh that was right as occupy had just happened um and so furthering over that time a real criticism of capitalism as such not just all three volumes you read all three volumes oh my god that's amazing wow I actually cheated and just did the David, David Harvey lectures. And actually, I was working at a private Christian school in Nashville at the time. And so I listened to the David Harvey lectures on Marx's capital. And then like while the kids were doing their work, I would read, uh, I would read the actual text and then listen to the lectures on the, on the way home. Uh, and then, and in the last few years, uh, that criticism of capitalism has turned into a, a deeper commitment to like actually a project of, of socialism. That's, um, very much informed by my faith and, uh, and the way that our church is, is organizing itself. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I, and I'm curious, you know, maybe just to give a little context for myself here, because I grew up in, in Utah and in rural Colorado, where there was a lot of evangelical conservative Christianity. And it, it really turned me off from, you know, it's funny, I I never really got to the point in Utah, you know, I moved away when I was about nine, so I never got to the point where there was a lot of prejudice against non-Mormons. Um, it was more just sort of confusing that in rural Utah you, you would have a non-Mormon. That was like a sort of category that people couldn't imagine. But I did hear that, you know, older kids, it would start to get bad. But when I was in Colorado, you know, there there was a lot of 
not exactly discrimination, I guess, but just just uh, a, a lot of uh, what appeared to me to be just just rancid politics coupled to a sort of blinkered and uh, hypocritical, um, you know, theology. And I reacted against that becoming, you know, like a fan of like, you know, Stephen Jay Gould and Richard Dawkins, a sort of new atheism, never to the point of the, the, the really like shitty new atheists now. And I think new, new atheism insofar as a thing has gotten a lot worse over the last maybe decade or so. And it's become a lot more racist and it's more just like anti-Islam. But in the day, it seemed like a sort of like attractive, rebellious posture against the suffocating conformity of, of uh, you know, evangelical Christianity as I knew it back then. Well, it started um, out as a, a secular humanist project, right? Like it seemed like just like an enlightenment rationalist project, right? Yes, yes. Though I think, you know, the the... The motivations for it were very much, you know, high school, you know, poseur type, like, I want to be different and, you know, like, stick it to the man type of stuff. Um, it's weird to think of and, Dawkins and Sam Harris as, like, punk rock at some point. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. But, I, I, yeah, no, I, I totally had friends uh, that, that, um, yeah, that dabbled in that or that got into that, especially in college. Um, because I think it, it, like you said, it helped identify um, an alternative way of. Yeah, yeah. That were upset or or angry or, yeah, just pissed off at the evangelicals they were around. By the way, SLC yeah, and- Punk, great movie. One, <laughs> I've never seen that, but one one sort of side consequence of that, you know, was be, was that like I became a sort of like amateur Bible expert, you know. I've read the Bible a bunch of times because, like, ah, I know this stuff better than they do, which was true in a lot of cases. Um, you know, and I'd debate, like, you know, get in arguments with people over, uh, you know, what did Jesus really say about homosexuality and stuff like that. And, but as, as, um, you know, the, the times have changed and I've sort of gotten some distance from that, um, kind of, this softened my perspective towards Christianity to see let's like, okay, it's not all rural conservative people in Colorado. That's not, not all like that. You know, I listened to a lot of the sermons and lectures of uh, Martin Luther King um, that I, that I find like really, you know, really stick in my mind. And, you know, a lot of the stuff in the Bible kind of stuck in my mind. Um, and, you know, at the, at, and conversely, the whole new atheism thing seems to be just like corroded, just beyond recognition, you know, to become a horrible uh, reactionary kind of impulse. And so, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just very interested to talk to somebody who has, you know, started maybe from the other side of the fence. And yet somehow we're kind of if maybe on this, not on the same side of the fence, like, you know, are, are, you know, cause I'm like n- not a Christian, maybe I should become one. I don't know. But like, you know, we're sort of like good neighbors. You build the fence and what you build it around. <laughs> yeah. Like it's I'm like a, with the social housing. Like I bring that up all the time. Like, it's yeah, really, yeah. 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 You could say, you know, you have the wall on one hey, side. John, but by, like by their little... fruits, you shall know them. Right, John. Right. <laughs> exactly exactly so at any rate yeah um it's just it's 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 very interesting to me to see how people have are navigating 
you know, the, these, these, uh, this tradition, these traditions and the, you know, these sort of moral teachings of, of Jesus, which despite, you know, despite not believing, you know, in any sort of supernatural stuff, um, I do find incredibly, t- uh, moving, um, you know, the, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats is, you know, that's something that like, it's just like seared into my brain, you know, and like what, whether, whether, uh, it it's true or not seems rather beside the point in some ways. Um, so yeah, and no, and no, John, you, you you can you can you can tell us why you didn't become a uh, unless you did have an atheist phase, like you know, and maybe Ryan is just maybe Ryan's just in his atheist phase. Maybe he'll see the light. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, I don't I don't know if you know you can tell us why you didn't have an atheist phase or if you did. But uh, eventually, like. This Father Herbert McCabe piece I had not read before, The Class Struggle and Christian Love, is pure fire, man. This is just fantastic. I loved this. He goes pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you want to you want to touch on any more personal narrative or not, but like when you want to dive into this piece, I'm I'm ready. No, I mean I think I will say, you know, there was a similar movement, um, or I think born out of a similar impulse amongst evangelicals um, in sort of the time that you describe, Ryan, of like the new atheist. It was called the emergent church. Um, and uh, and what's funny is it also just kind of ran out of steam, I think, in the way that the new atheism did. But it was it yeah. was um, uh, it was a lot of churches that started trying to like reimagine church or do something different other than the kind of standard status quo of of evangelicalism of the kind of uh, late nineties to mid two thousands. And, um, and so that for me was probably like where I found my outlet of, I mean, it act, I know it is cause I read a book by this guy, Brian McLaren. And then there's this guy, Rob Bell. Um, and that provided me like ways to, um, <laughs> to rebel and sort of argue against my parents, although it was not, mm. um, you know, the, the kind of things. Um, yeah, yeah. but it provided an outlet, I think for people that, cause I, I went to Baylor university, which is a Baptist school. I, I, it, it sort of always made sense to me to be a part of a church. Um, but that at least gave me some, some sense of like, Oh, there are other ways to do this. Um, it is funny. I think that whole thing kind of ran out of steam and a lot of the people, um, that were in it wound up realizing that the theology for many of those churches was still just the same at the end of the day, or, they found them to be kind of inadequate. And so now they're Catholic or Episcopalian. Um, and, uh, and so there was that. And then as I graduated divinity school, I really wasn't sure if I wanted to be a Christian less from a, uh, uh, theological standpoint or in terms of belief, but just, I, I really couldn't stand the institutionalization of Christianity at, at my divinity school. I went to, to Duke divinity and the way that, um, you know, if there is an institution, uh, that is, as we kind of get into talking about capitalism uh, that is subject to like neoliberal capitalism, it's the university. Um, and so to see yeah. the, the way that um, sort of what I was being taught in the classroom in terms of the distinctiveness of being a Christian with relation to the world, especially when it comes to things like power and capitalism um, was being 
institutionalized and, you know, like all my classmates were taken out debt and, you know, it's, I don't know. Need to go through the sort of litany of horrible well, things. Well, I think that's a great point. No, John, I think you're making a really essential point. I think um, uh, probably a vast majority of our listeners are not Christian, but there probably is, from their perspective, a conflation of the institutions that identify as Christian, uh, including those divinity schools at the university, right, with Christianity as such. And of course, it's very easy to see why one would, would, would be kind of hateful of or antagonistic to Christianity if you associate Christianity with the institutions that are corrupted by the power and by capitalism, right? Yeah. Yeah. For a long time, I thought I was anti-institution as such, but I was just anti-capitalist institution. Those were just the only ones <laughs> that I had around or at hand to, to actually criticize. And so um, the idea of Christianity uh organizing and institutionalizing um, in or even possessing the capability of doing that or I should just say Christians because like Christ, Christianity doesn't organize Christians do. Um, yeah, and that's, very good. that's me showing some of my, my Baptist uh, uh, theology, but that um, the idea that Christians could actually organize um, and, and would and, and institutionalize something that would be uh, different and would provide different ways of being with each other than in capitalism. Um, and then I got in a church and realized like, ah, oh, like a lot of churches aren't actually that it's, it's not nearly as intense as a university or that like <laughs> there is some real potential yeah. here. Like there, it, like mm. people are showing up, um, to talk about the things that they care about the most. They are showing, I mean, you worked in two churches in the middle of downtown cities in North Carolina. Like people are showing up because they, they are homeless or poor or very much in need or something is breaking down in their life. And they think the church, um, should be organized to help them. Uh, and that I, I came to believe that a church, that churches could do that. So I do have a, a sort of, um, aspirational view towards doing that. And that's something I think we're getting to do at, at Jubilee Baptist, um, in a, in a way that a lot of churches aren't or don't because of kind of accumulated history and hmm. in, institutional stuff in institutions just tends to build up and for better or worse. Yeah, and you are doing that, right? Maybe you want to speak for for a moment about what you're doing with your church, because, uh, yeah, I mean, as, as Mitt Romney might say when he says that corporations are people, churches are people, right? and so you, <laughs> right. you and your people are actually right. doing some, right. some, some good, good things. things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I, I'll say just a couple of the things that we are we are planning on doing. We'll see how they go and modify uh, as we get into them. I'd say sort of the three biggest ones that that are ways that we are responding to the inequalities, uh, not just the inequalities, but the, um, the nature of capitalism that sets us against one another, um, as we'll kind of get into with maybe the McCabe stuff. Um, so we're starting a group called Workers Anonymous, where people can show up and just talk about their jobs. Uh, so often when people show up to church and they talk about their jobs, it's about finding your purpose or doing something you're passionate about uh, or just pretending like you've got it together. Uh, and this group is very much we want to provide space for talk talking about the ways that they are being oppressed and exploited in their workplace if they need that. Um, so things like sexual harassment infrequent scheduling. Um, I mean, wages is probably the most, most obvious one, but, um, that like if you are finding things troubling in your job, like this is where you can come talk about it. And, and that that's okay. Like, um, and sort of the main point is to start getting people identify themselves as workers because capitalism is so good at, uh, tricking us into thinking of ourselves in a variety of different ways 
other than workers um, and to see themselves in relation to their workplace uh, and hopefully for, provide them some tools to organize their coworkers. Um, one of the other things we're doing is a, a financial literacy class, but uh, for people who are familiar with like Dave Ramsey, it's sort of the opposite of <laughs> Dave Ramsey. Right. Uh, it is literally reading Karl Marx. Um, and we've got a, a congregant who is putting together a, a curriculum where we'll read about seven or eight pages of Marx each week and talk about, Mm. um, so when we talk about permanent accumulation, we'll also talk about, uh, things like hurricane Katrina and, uh, how charter schools, like they, you know, changed all the schools there to charter schools. We'll talk about, um, I'm trying to think of the other, the, the, I mean, we're gonna talk about the labor theory of value and, and how that applies to people's workplace. Um, and to to just give people an idea of kind of what to, to help provide a language and a framework, um, for people to see what's, what's going on in their workplace. And then um, the last one is we're going to um, pay off people's debts. We're going to pay off about $35,000 in people's debts in the next Amazing. year. Yeah. Just, and we're doing that in two ways. Um, uh, we're doing what we're calling debt liberation grants where each week in worship, uh, we will just hand someone a check for them to go pay off a debt. Um, and we do that in worship because that is, it'll be a part of worship. It's not like hmm, get together we worship, and then because of that, we go do good things or something like that. It's like, no, this is actually right. part of what we think God would have for us. Um, and then we're starting what we're calling mutual aid teams, where um, some of those people that have received grants go onto a team with people who haven't, and they uh, together pay down one another's debts. So um, each month, I'll make, I'll continue making a payment on a debt, but um, other people will, they'll mail a check to. Wells Fargo on my behalf. And when that one's paid off, I'll do the same for, for other people. And, um, it just, it, it's actually pretty simple. It just requires a, a level of coordination that capitalism doesn't provide us and that, that a church actually can provide, um, that a church can provide a place and people, um, where you can coordinate those things on terms different than capitalism. Um, so, so those are sort of the big three, I think of, of kind of what we're up to as a church that, um, is how we're taking these things into account. That's interesting, you know. Um, one of the uh, re- reading one of these pieces uh, that you sent us, I forget which one. You 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 mentioned how much of conservative uh, kind of evangelical prosperity gospel type uh, like services is dedicated to uh, uh, like quasi self help type. Um, you know, it's it's a like getting a lecture from someone who tells you sort of how to feel about things. Like I'm dealing with like my feelings of 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 you know sadness and 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 you know rage or humiliation or like here's how to here's how to deal with my relationship problems and whatnot. And that's something I've noticed. You know, I've been to a lot of churches in my life. Um, some conservative, where that was pretty pretty common back in Colorado. But I recently went to a, uh, um, I certainly left leaning church in Houston, a black church uh, that I'm not even sure what the denomination was exactly. But there was a there was a, a definitely more of a collective element to that. There was all sorts of programs they were doing to help uh, the congregation and so forth. But there was also during the service a strong self-help element, uh, a, a kind of like, you know, here's like, uh, 
you know, go, the, the pastor talking about going to therapy and, 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 you know, feelings and so on. And my sort of observation is that, like, there's just a whole lot of untreated distress in the country. You know, people are, people are suffering. And one of the services of a church, like, like the, the whole church institution, um, is to provide a a some way of of dealing with those feelings like commiserating with others feeling like you have some sort of a program even if it doesn't work you know to 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 resolve those 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 troubles and like it seemed to me like that was a big part of what pe- kept people coming back you know seeing like a sort of charismatic person talk about like Oh, I, like here's how I can deal with it. Here's how I can get my life under control. Um, and it and it seems as if like there's a sort of inherently bourgeois aspect to that because it's all about individuality and like like here's how I can take control of my own life. But also like maybe you know a certain you could put a spin on that, which is more collective as well to say like you know here's how we together can can like face our problems. So I don't know like you certainly have a lot more experience than me of this. So like, like what, you know, have, have you seen, you know, that sort of need in your, in your congregation and like, it is you, you try to like serve it in some way? Yeah. I think what you're, you're naming is, I mean, on the most general sense, like life is a struggle. Uh, yeah. Right? Like, like something. And I think conservative churches do this except like very, very, well, and by that I mean like effective to the ends that they or efficient to the ends that they want to do. Not that I think it's yeah. good, um, but of recognizing that uh, you know people's lives um, that like people need help. Like people need help getting through the day, getting through their lives. That there is a sense that that our lives are disordered or that we're struggling with something, um, and and. Uh, in that, uh, in that piece that you, you mentioned, I went to, um, yeah, Southern, Southern Baptist Church, actually the, the home of the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer. And it, it kind of took me back to my own evangelical upbringing, which is that, um, you know, he's talking about just real stuff people are dealing with in their lives, about anger, distress, anxiety. Like you yeah. said, uh, this oftentimes turns into a very, like, individual problem uh that um is not as oftentimes connected to the larger uh like social system that we live in or things like that um right but like that that's an entry point that like most people don't show up to church because they're like i want to intellectually believe in god or i believe these (laughs) sets of propositions right like uh a lot of they show up because like a friend invited them or they like the music or the community did something for them or was for them in a certain way. And and that's how like so many of us form our, our convictions and um and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. And so um so the church you went to, I, I, I can't speak for. I know that for churches on um sort of the more progressive and, and especially like that are explicitly progressive liberal um, I think this is an element they're really missing um, that that they kind of skip over the sort of individual distress in people's lives. And that's where I think it becomes this kind of bourgeois that. Um, and so a lot of the sermons tend towards things like um, 
really just like, oh, have you seen the other guys? Like, look at how bad that, that the other or conservatives are and what they're doing. And which, like, you know, it's bad. I'm not saying it's not bad. I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. Like, it's very easy to read the news and, and tempting to read the news um, and for that week pick a sermon uh, bemoaning, like, how bad things are, particularly other Christians. Um, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but that uh, it doesn't, you know, it, it only has, it only goes so far for people that are struggling to pay their bills. Uh, or be, and like and who's who and, yeah. and the things that are oftentimes identified in conservative churches, um, you know, are the same things that people are dealing with. It's just that the explanation they offer doesn't include the the sort of larger systemic forces or the structure of capitalism. So, um, like for example, a, a couple months ago when we were still Ephesus Baptist, Kevin, uh, one of the co-pastors I work with, who was the pastor then was preaching. Um, and the passage was Corinthians 13, right? Famous, like passages read at every wedding, love is patient, love is kind, those sorts of things. And, um, and in, in part of his sermon, Kevin said, like basically talked through like, yeah, a lot of people struggle in marriage. They struggle to be patient, struggle to be kind. Um, and he said, I don't have a lot of marriage advice to give you based on this passage, but if I could give you some, it would be, don't blame your partner for capitalism. That like maybe you're showing up and you're really, really stressed and you're anxious because you're getting exploited and you're working longer hours and you're not, you know, um, and, and I have I have friends who I know like whose marriages would be greatly improved by making just an extra like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars like, you know, and it's like yeah, I don't yeah. need Sad, a marriage class, don't need a counseling. Yeah. Like really they yeah. need to be able to afford to go to vacation go on a vacation a every month. There's a lot of capitalism kick the dog scenarios, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And so so you know, the point I was kind of making in that piece is like this is an entryway into people's lives that they often are opening up when they come to church. Um, when they come to church, they're opening up some sort of vulnerability into their lives and and probably looking for some sort of answer or understanding. Um, that the that that more progressive churches uh, often leave off the table by leaving off capitalism um, was sort of the, the the larger point there that like um, that that anything that doesn't incorporate that or that that doesn't at least kind of get to it uh, is going to be inadequate to the to the task that we're we're facing. Yeah. Because because Christianity and the principles it espouses and the commandments it espouses operates not in a vacuum, but in life. And life actually has reality to which one must be, right, like educated and, and face. And, and so I, what I loved about this Father Herbert McCabe piece is that to, to really be a great theologian or be a, 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 a Christian in action is to understand the world in which you're living. And you can't, right? So you can't be a good Christian unless you you have that understanding, right? Otherwise, you're, you're you know you're, you're not truly um, able to live the way that Christ asks us to live, right? Right. Yeah, so this, and this is and a beautiful, beautiful piece. piece. Go, Go ahead, ahead John. John. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say. I mean, um, yeah, that that God certainly responds to the world as it is, um, and that's the, sort of the story of. of scripture in particular, um, right. That it, that scripture is not a set of moral teachings that right. just drop down from the sky. It's not an instruction manual. Um, although did y'all have the basic instructions before leaving earth? The, that was the, the B I B L E. That's what I was taught. <laughs> it's like, absolutely not that it's, it's the opposite of that, right. It is God responding to concrete history. 
Like Marx, God and Marx have a lot in common. Oh yeah, no, this is uh, Dennis Turner, who we, we've talked about a little bit, who is um, a friend of McCabe's, says that um, even if Christians aren't historical materialists, their God most certainly is. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, but which, by which he means that, yeah, you, you respond to the circumstances that, that you find yourself in. Um, and John, when did you first come across this, this piece here? What, when did, uh, and maybe this is contemporaneous with when your Christianity became infused and connected to a critique of capitalism? Uh, I think it was about four or five years ago. And it was probably from following, uh, are you sure bruv on, on Twitter? Who's this weirdo <laughs> kind of Catholic lefty big shout bruv. A very small slice of our audience will really appreciate that shout out. I'm, I'm a bruv follower. Have been for years. I'll let, I'll let Brub know. Um, so I remember maybe <laughs> Brub posting excerpts of it, and I couldn't find it online anywhere. So I, just, I, I had a um, continuing education budget at the church I worked at, so I just immediately bought the book it was in and then scanned it. Um, and then my, my buddy Taylor has put it up on his, his Medium uh, page. So that was about four or five years ago, and, and it was um, it's a piece that, uh, for me... It, um, I don't want to say that I necessarily learned anything from it, but it was like someone putting something so concisely that had just been sort of vague thoughts uh, for me or, or sort of disconnected things. Um, he really brings it together well in, in the piece that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. One, and <clears throat> one of the things he, t- he, he, he really sort of drills into is w- where, you know, the, where the teachings of of Christ, uh, what they say and what they don't say about you know the 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 reality of capitalism and what that implies about living you know in a capitalist society as a committed Christian. So like, can you like sort of dig into that? You know, for it's like from your from your sort of theological perspective. You know, I think that like. Like as we've been talking about, there's a, there's a, a you know self-identified Christian tradition which says capitalism is great. You know, it's like if I ever want to believe in the Antichrist, I just go look up prosperity gospel sermons on YouTube. Right, right. Like, <laughs> gets as close as you could imagine. You know, Jesus wants you to be rich. The the you know he wants you to go through the eye of the needle. Yeah. Um, but. I think there's two things about this that I, I found like so insightful. Um, and the first is before getting to your question of like on what grounds is capitalism incompatible with Christianity is I think he does a great job. I don't know if y'all thought this of, of really explaining what the class struggle is. Um, yeah. Right. Nature to capitalism. And um, because I think that's something a lot of people skip over. Um, and he, he, he mentioned, I mean, he says it, uh, you know, this is an oversimplified, version of of this though i mean it was it's pretty good <laughs> like it was it's really good no no to our, our our atheist listeners you should still read this it's a it's got several pages of like the most beautifully distilled analysis of capitalism that you'll see anywhere yeah i mean i think that the there's a paragraph um if people are looking it up that that starts off first of all um and that's where he gets into the the what the class struggle is and what it is not um, that is not necessarily a distinction between rich and poor, um, though that oftentimes is is the consequence of the relationship of classes. But that, um, yeah, but that in capitalism, that that 
the fundamental relationship that makes capitalism capitalism is that between owners and workers and the people who own the, the means of production. And not only do they own them, but they're able to take the value back uh, from that and pay out in wages to workers. And uh, I get all of the, the um, you know, the temptations of like class reductionism and things like that. But I also do think that's a fundamentally important thing to keep in mind is that there are these distinct classes in the, the process of capitalism. Um, and so, yeah, I think he, he really names it again. He, he makes sure to mention this is oversimplified, but I think he names it quite, quite well what's going on. And that, like, there's actually nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong, uh, between rich and like having rich. Well, that's rich. interesting, right? That's what oh, I found that super interesting. So let's get to that. So a few choice quotes, right? So, so on, on my page seven, uh, that paragraph you, you just mentioned that starts, first of all, it is not differences of wealth that cause class differences, but class differences that cause differences of wealth. Right. And then, and, and then he goes down and he talks about, the employer is not simply anyone who makes overall decisions about what work shall be done and how. He's the one who takes the surplus wealth created by the worker and uses it, in his own interests, of course, as capital. Capitalism is just the system in which capital is accumulated for investment in their own interests by a group of people who own the means of production and employ large numbers of people who do not own the means of production, but produce both the wealth which they receive back in wages and the surplus wealth which is used for investment by the owners. Just a great, simple, clear definition, right? It took Marx like 85 pages to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I think is very, very helpful about this is naming capitalism as a matter of capital and ownership and investment and not markets. Um, yeah, and right. so, like, anytime, uh, I mean, you see this a lot right now as we're, you know, talking about the democratic debates uh, or like as the democratic primary is going on, um, uh, often the, the guys will distance themselves from Sanders uh, as, you know, the, the explicit socialist and say, I'm a capitalist, I believe in markets. And my response to that is always just, why is it not called marketism? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard of market socialism, which is like a whole thing? Like, generally, like, why is it called capitalism? Like, what is right. the, that is the, it's in the name. It's the, obviously, there's something yes. about capital uh, that is, that is different. Um, it's in, and it's not. It's, it's kind of like, you know how Shakespeare said nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so? It's like markets are not good or bad, but how you use them makes it so, right? Right, right. Yeah. And and um, and so, uh, yeah, I just think that's an, a, a really important distinction. And it's something you see a lot with um, Christians and like particularly progressive Christians um, is this failure. Like they want to address the problems, like you just said, the problems created by capitalism. Um, without getting at the the cause of it. And so uh, I'd say a lot of like liberal progressive Christians at the moment uh, are addressing differences of wealth uh, that are that are in fact caused by class differences that that lay at the heart of it. And I just think that's a really, really important uh, thing to get at from like a practical strategic standpoint. Um, and yeah. And it lies at the heart of his criticism of, of capitalism, that, that there are these two classes that are antagonistic towards each other. And that's just the nature of what capitalism is. 
There, there is. I will say one. I will raise one quibble. Um, he he says that there's like there from the standpoint of of um, you know the working class and capitalism and so on. There's really no difference between a privately owned coal mine and a state owned coal mine. Um, and I think that that is not necessarily the case. Um, if you you know you you look at like the like I think there is a is a substantial difference between this you know state companies like like uh, uh, you know the post office or or Amtrak or all of the uh, you know I mean most of the Nordics have huge portfolios of these sorts of things and the difference it uh, can be not necessarily is but can be in the fact that that capital income that you're talking about you know the surplus uh, revenue that's coming off whether you believe in the you know labor theory of value or not there is certainly a thing called profits which comes off of these capital uh, investments um, that can come into the common treasury and then you could say like okay now we no longer need this tax revenue or you know we're going to return it to the population in the form of some a social dividend or something like that as in the uh, social wealth fund proposals um, so you know not necessarily the case that state-owned enterprises are like uh automatically good uh there are certainly some bad ones but i think that that they are different in a way that mccain had had read uh people's policy project (laughs) (laughs) uh no and i i myself supplement a lot of what he's saying with with that and the things like the social wealth fund and family fund pack and and um matt bruning's been been uh, I was reading him probably about the same time that I was reading Capital and going into Divinity School, uh, and so he had a bunch of posts that when he was posting like five times a week at uh, demos uh, that helped clarify a lot of this for me in terms of poverty and um, ownership and things like that. But yeah, that, I think that's a really good, like, helpful point that how you transfer the ownership uh, to people democratically, um, there is a way for the state. There, well, it, there's at least an idea that there's a way for the state to be involved. To be fair, to be fair, Ryan, to McCabe, right? Like he does talk about fascism, which he says is the combination of capitalist economics with feudal politics. And that often includes like the state being heavily involved, right? Like, so I think he, he's sure, not saying, sure, sure. right? Like he, he's not saying it's bad for the state to be involved. I think what he's saying is like, it doesn't matter if the state's involved unless it's like, helping the working class organize the means of productions and, and actually, right? Like, so, so he, he's not, you know, against the state. He just wants to say it's necessary, but not sufficient at times. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could read it that way. I'm just a big post office fan. That's my, <laughs> yeah, like I'm, office. I'm definitely a, uh, <laughs> that's where I would have some criticism of him or just supple or just, that's, that's the direction I would choose to go as well. It's a quibble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, but let's get to this antagonism because I think this is the really interesting point, which is that it's not that Christianity is per se against um, or or that wants people without wealth to have wealth because that would be a little bit weird, right? Uh, insofar as Christianity is all about not having – like material wealth isn't what gets you to heaven, isn't what saves your soul and so forth. So it's, so it's not, not that. That's the, the opposite actually. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So which has been rhetorically dangerous and reactionary in, indeed, right? Because there will always be poor among us. Okay. And, and so there's all these parts of scripture that can justify the use of power by the capitalists and the state, right? And, and this is a great part that, that McCabe points to. 
Um, but what he's saying is what is endemic to capitalism is class struggle. And that means that capitalism is inherently antagonistic and therefore Christians must be against something that is inherently waging war of brothers and sisters in Christ against one another, right? And, 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 and we, we are, are called to, to love – go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I think you would say just people in general. Like I don't think you would limit it. That Just the problem is that it sets Christians against one another, but that, that it sets yeah. – yeah. Well, I, I, I would say we're, we're – I mean, wouldn't wouldn't McCabe and wouldn't Jesus say we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, whether or not someone identifies as Christian? Everyone, right? Wouldn't Would you, you say? say? Not just not yet. I think. <laughs> no, but 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 it's. I mean, the the point is, of course, like everyone should love one another, right? That's yes. that's, and the that's, that's, that's the destiny towards which we're that that as created human beings, our destiny is to live in a sort of uni- is to live in a unity of love with one another um, that is seen in Christ. And so capitalism is in, in just intrinsically um, against that because it pits, right? It makes a war inherently uh, in, in terms of how it forces people to, to engage in this class struggle, right? Yeah, totally. And, and that like there is one particular group that is very, very powerful and exercising that power over people um, via their, their ownership, Um and another group that is uh, subject to that, um, and that, that it's it is as he said inherent to the process. Like that, that the yeah. the nature of capitalism is to divide people up into classes around capital, like around the investment um, and the means of production, um, and to put them in a struggle because the interests of the capitalist are opposed to the interest of the worker. And they are, they are constantly going back and forth on that. And I just think, I mean, that is like, uh, as far as Christian, um, uh, you know, language or opposition to capitalism, that's uh, to me as good as it gets, uh, or, or better than I think most, a lot of times you get Christian opposition to capitalism. Um, I mean, one, because it's pretty visceral, right? Like we were talking about with people's, you know, uh, people's like actual needs, like it, it gets at that, right? Like the yeah. owner of Walmart, uh, is living in some sort of war with all the workers of Walmart. And that's just because of how capitalism is structured. And so that, um, that's, that's just like a really shitty way to live together. Uh, even though we, and, and also I would add not only the workers of Walmart, but all of the non-workers in the country, which is like half the population, the, like like the the employment rate in the country for for all people is only about half maybe a little more a little maybe a little less and all of those people they get nothing from 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 capitalism um you know and and this is you know as you point out in another piece that you sent us this is the main cause of poverty in the country there's all these categories of people who can't work um you know children students disabled people unemployed people, um, elderly, um, people who are caring for somebody else. That's like the super majority of, of, of impoverished people. And, you know, the interest of the capitalist is to just exploit the working class on the one hand, and on the other hand, protect their income from taxation and redistribution to the workers and to the, all the other people who, who need income to live you know, so that they can live in wretched opulence and everyone else, you know, fuck them. It's not my problem. Right. 
Well, and and that the system, I think one step further, even if they don't say, fuck them, that's not my problem, the system is designed to where they have to keep reinvesting what they make to make more. Because if that's they right. don't, they could then, fall, like, the, the competition yeah. is set up. So, like, even if they want to be altruistic, the way the system is designed structures is that, there, yeah. right it structures their response and um and so yeah so on the one hand they're exploiting the workers on the other hand they um and, and a lot of this i mean i think mccabe would agree and i would agree is that like you know you um we are not these sort of free-floating individuals so capitalists that they learn to be greedy within a system that that tells them this is how this works um and so even if they go into it without wanting to be greedy, the way the system works um, brings them into habits and practices and ideologies and understandings that, that makes them that way. Uh, I hope you don't hear me saying that as like an apology for <laughs> the capitalists, but also that um, no, that, it's, that it's, is a, it's that is a part of the, the system. Cost. Yeah, yeah, that that's a, a part of the system as, as well. Um, and it, it gets to, I think, kind of the point that um, the capitalists, because their self-interest is then tied into capitalism, um, have to keep the system going. Whereas the interest of the workers is to get rid of the system um, it, entirely. Yeah. yeah no, and yeah. and this, this to me, it's like like the 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 very most basic message of of Jesus is a sort of just just radical egalitarianism. You know the the I you know the 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 parable of the sheep and the goats. It strikes I think it strikes me so emotionally, you know, because he says, you know, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. So it's not just it, like Jesus says, not just that um, it's wrong, it's bad to treat the poor, the people in prison, the hungry the 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 immigrant badly but that at in insofar as you treat those people well or badly you're doing it to god himself yeah. and yeah. and um you know this system which sets people into these camps as you as 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 you say as this article says and forces them to fight against each other i mean that that's a great point in the article that like it's it's not as if the class struggle was invented by the the working class it's there and there is no option but to just pick one side or the other I mean, this is and what that, Bernie, Bernie tweeted about this. He says, as long as there's going to be a class war, the working class might as well win it. This is literally what Bernie just tweeted about. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I loved it. Um, and <laughs> no, that's totally right. And I mean, no, Ryan, to your point, the, the radical equality is also um, radical e uh, the potential for radical equality with God, that God and God yeah. himself. And um, I was reading some other pieces from the, the book from which this comes. Um, and I can't do McCabe's argument uh, justice, but it, it actually makes for a really interesting kind of companion to this, that, that um, God being love and God being wholly distinct from humanity means that um, God loving humanity as an equal seems impossible. And so that Jesus's identification as both God and human uh, means that there is some sort of equality with God that is possible 
through Jesus um, and in Jesus. And as you say, Jesus is then showing this picture in which there's an identification with these particular groups in history. Um, and, and for him at his time, that is the poor, the hungry. Um, I think McCabe is really good in saying Jesus was not a socialist because historically that, yeah, that would be no such thing. Yeah. That, and that it's would be, right. yeah. And it, and it would be to remove Jesus from Jesus's historical, it would be to pull Jesus out of history, um, in a way that, that wouldn't quite work. But I, I know, I think that's totally right. And I think that is, um, and again, that equality is not on the level of everyone having everything, but in a, for him, in a much deeper way, a, um, a unity and a communion that, um, that material inequality, um, uh, one, makes very difficult, uh, but the actual relationship of antagonism, that is what is opposed to Christianity. The, the inequality is bad, but the actual, and is oftentimes how that antagonism plays itself out and is how it plays itself out in capitalism. Um, but the, the difference between inequality and antagonism, I think is, is really key to, to thinking through a, a Christian criticism of capitalism. And McCabe goes farther, right? Because not just is, uh, Jesus historical. He's also in a way, trans historical, uh, theologically, like Christ is risen. Christ is always right. Right. So, so, so like there is this call from McCabe to say that as a Christian, Right. Because there is this class struggle, you are called to win it. So so like the only way to end class war <laughs> yeah. is to win the class war. And Jesus wants you to do what you need to do, baby. Right. <laughs> like and that 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 might mean some some subversive shit. That might mean even some violence. Right. Like lit, literally, Jesus might want you to do violence like it's not the best option, but you might have to do it. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, hang on. I, I want to, there's one sentence I wanted to make sure to, to read because it is like everything that we've talked about up to this point that, that I think, um, and I think is so incredibly helpful for particularly Christians that want to levy a criticism against capitalism. Um, and, and he, he writes, uh, Christianity is deeply subversive of capitalism precisely because it announces the improbable possibility that people might live together without war, neither by domination nor by antagonism, but by unity and love. Um, Beautiful. And Beautiful. I think that's incredibly helpful because it sidesteps so much of the just bullshit uh, that goes on around capitalism. I mean, I mentioned the marketism yep. piece. Right. Um, uh, I don't know if y'all saw, I think yesterday, uh, the Reverend William Barber was giving a speech to the Democrats a day or two ago. And, um, and I, I identified, like basically said, if they're going to call um, – peace and justice and caring for one another socialism, then let's call it, let's just call it socialism. And that's in the Bible. Um, and you know, that's like kind of fine as far as it goes, but then the criticism becomes, um, well, the government shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. And this is also one of the problems of trying to identify, uh, you know, the antagonism to capitalism with the democratic party. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, then you get into these conversations or debates around the role of the government um, or around the, the um, nature or around inequality or wealth and poverty, um, all of which are important, but are secondary to like that very sentence that the problem with capitalism is not the inequality, not um, the role of the government. It is that is inherently a way of us living together. Uh, that denies the possibility of the unity of love. And like, I, I don't know how a conservative would, uh, <laughs> would 
would react to that, but it's an argument I, I would really like to hear them respond to because, like I said, it just cuts through so much bullshit. Uh, and it well, and and McCabe points out that like plenty of those conservatives probably like daydream about a life in the future where we're all kumbaya together. But the problem is that Christian is called to figure out what that path would entail, and that specifically means the path would entail overthrowing capitalism, right? If you think about it, yeah, as it is here and now, um, yeah. And, um, yeah. And the, the, the interest, the thing I, 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 I especially like about, well, this may be especially interesting about this is like at the end of his essay, he, he talks about, uh, how to say, you know, overthrowing capitalism, whatever, like, like replacing the social system with something which is much more radically egalitarian is, uh, you know, mainly, kind of in the interests of the, the the bottom, the dregs of society, the poor people and whatnot. But it's also in the interest of the top, the, the people oppressor. who have been poisoned by the, the, the system as it exists now and who have denied their fellow feeling with all of their, you know, other humans, their 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 fellow citizens or their, you know, the other members of the community and have been, in a sense, kind of tricked into... Um, exploiting people for their own benefit. And yeah, overthrowing capitalism is a way to love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemy as yourself. Yeah. And, and he, he said, said uh, I think about like the souls of rich people that are um, perpetuating a system that will one day like leave this, the place, you know, the earth inha- uninhabitable for their children. Right. Yeah. Like, like th- there is something uh, deeply gross about that. Uh, and that, that um, is, is contrary to yeah what he says sort of the unity and love that we ought to have for one another um and, and the, then, yeah and the per- yeah, I, I like the perversion soul that that entails like how how far you would have to be from you know actually loving someone to to do that yeah and this is, you know, the, 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 the devil is Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life, you know, the, 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 the man who's, who's uh, just, you know, is, is become addicted to his own gain. And, he, and, he's, and right at the, at the end of his, his uh, essay, McCabe, in this passage, I, I, it's just wonderful, talks about how even in the process of overthrowing you know the the capitalist system to put something else in 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 um in place of it you can continue to love your enemy and I, very challenging i don't think i'm really capable of that but you know maybe that's part of the the whole but he says there uh there is a paradox but no contradiction in being able by the grace of god to love the person you must fight there is a paradox but no contradiction in having an enemy who must be destroyed, and yet who is not in any ultimate sense the enemy, but one for whom Christ also dies. There is a paradox, but no contradiction, in fact, in loving your enemies. And the paradox lies in God, who is not just the future, not just the transcendent towards which we strive, but is Emmanuel, God with us, the future which is already with us, drawing us to himself. And I was just like, Damn, dude. <laughs> That's a mic drop moment. That's a mic drop yeah, pretty moment. Pretty good stuff. Huh? <laughs> um, well, and, and, and 
we haven't really touched on it. I don't know if we need to or want to, but that is in the context of him talking about the possible violence that class struggle um, might entail yeah. people, that right. there are there there are potentially times and places where violence is uh, justified um, oh, in, in a, yeah. class war. Um, a, a beautiful job. No, John, he does a beautiful job of calling out I mean, there's lots of theological support for, like, just war theory. Like, there's all kinds of theological support for violence in favor of the state using violence, right? And so he basically says that, yeah, there's nothing incompatible with love or with the calling of Christianity to do violence. Like, it's unfortunate. It's not ideal, right? It's not, like, the uh, epitome of Christ's love. But sometimes it is neither incompatible with what love requires. And I think at some point he basically says that the only violence that is just is the violence that leads to the class struggle uh, winning the class war, something like that. Right. Yeah. I love, he's just got this great line um, uh, about uh, just war theory and that like basically just war theory seems to me to make perfect sense. My only quarrel is the way that justice is so often turned out to coincide with the interests of the rich. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, he writes that the only just war is the class war, the struggle of the working class against their exploiters. No war is just except insofar as it is part of this struggle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I think he's probably right. I don't, I don't know what that entails. Uh, I'm, and I'm probably too, uh, too much of a coward to, to engage in it though. As he points out, like that's, uh, really not a choice oftentimes. And, um, and that there is a violence going on all the time. And so it's not like the working class just decides to start it one day. Like it's, it's part of what's, what's already going on within this antagonism that. And legality and illegality sometimes is, is just, I mean, he, he clearly says sometimes the state just calls things illegal, which help them in the class war. And this goes right into our previous discussion about crime and crime is simply what is defined by the state as illegal, which is often, things that help the state suppress protest and change, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, for example, uh, Bernie's new union platform would legalize uh, sympathy strikes, um, which are currently illegal. Um, You know, that is to say, when there's a strike from one company and you have a strike in another company that's just solely dedicated to support the other one, that is currently against the law. Bernie would re-legalize that. You know, it's like we, you know, at what point do you know? Do we want to say violating the law is always always wrong? You know, like like clearly you need to, as Martin Luther King would have said, like sometimes you have to strategic. You know, you have to use your common sense and your your moral sense to decide. You know, if if violating the law is necessary. But I also, you know, I, I important clarification here. You know, he talks about how. You know, there are a lot of revolutionaries who are sort of like drunk on their own rhetoric, and um, they they have a you know maybe just like ends justify the means sort of perspective. But the fact is, in in even like sort of democratic countries like the United States, uh, clearly the best way forward is a a a a pacifist uh, like or quasi pacifist sort of. Um, 
you know, democratic, egalitarian, nonviolent approach to politics for the obvious reason that if you don't do that, then you're fighting the army and the army is probably going to kick your ass. And that's a kind of, yeah, so long as you have, yeah, so long as you have some kind of freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, even a sort of like really rancid democracy, but where it is possible for the bad guys to lose, like you should take advantage of that because that is a much easier place to win as opposed to fighting the drones and the, and the you know, nuclear weapons or whatever. Yeah, and I, I think there, there's a, I think there's a bunch of ways that I always joke that I try to keep like in both my Twitter feed and like my friendships, people that are significantly farther to the left of me, even as I <laughs> being, you know, probably the furthest left Baptist pastor. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I can certainly see the variety of criticisms that there would be to that, that, Oh, this is actually just a trap. It's a way of, you know, limiting what you can actually do. Um, and I, I just don't know. I mean, it seems to me like there's a, there's a variety of ways to win that are very heavily dependent on the situation that you, you find yourself in and, and what the advantages and disadvantages of violence would be. Uh, as you were talking though about the sympathy strikes, I was, I was now thinking that like me and the other co-pastors should go on a sympathy strike, uh, (laughs) workers and just to, to, you know, (laughs) show the, I don't know how our, I mean, I think our congregation would go for, I don't know what that would, we just wouldn't preach or something like, we're, like <laughs> the, just just to you know show how silly this this law is <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm definitely on board with the doing illegal things uh to to as engaging in the the uh class struggle as i think any christian ought to be what what those are and what they look like and how much violence they might entail is uh again just a question for both strategy and conscience and possibility what what john do you uh, do you make of the point that mccabe makes which i think is a a very well taken point that the church with minor exceptions he says has been quote solidly on the side of violence for centuries normally it's been on this been the violence of soldiers and policemen so it's only when the poor catch on to violence that it suddenly turns out to be against the gospel um how does that guide your understanding of how to shape the church and the congregants in the church um, to educate and change that um, that unfortunate historical fact, right? That seems to be going against the spirit of Christianity. Yeah, I mean, I think some of it'll just be us, you know, being on the the right side, not of history, but of the class struggle. <laughs> I think that's a much yeah, better way right. to put those things, right? right. Um, right. And um, yeah, and not letting. Um, not letting the sort of religious right or even the the um, religious people of the sort of progressive liberals uh, just lo- rope things into that narrative as the sort of default that um, what we yeah. need is peace and we don't need violence. Um, and I mean, you saw this after some of the riots in like Ferguson. And um, I mean, I think that's the, the I mean, it's, it's, Part of it is that it's scary. Like these things are yeah. really scary because they mean upheaval, um, mm-hmm. and that uh, it's very easy to be scared. But one of the, I mean, I, I go back to it all the time. We very rarely think through like the political implications of saying that perfect love drives out all fear, right? And so, like, 
um, if there's a group of people that should not be afraid of the upheaval of the world, it should be Christians. Um, yeah, right. That the world has already been upturned um, and that uh, that that is our way in the world. Uh, and that, you know, um, Jesus exemplified what perfect love looked like and it got him killed. And the Holy Spirit um, began and sustains the church and did so through uh, in a sort of chaotic upheaval. Um, so it shouldn't be something we're afraid of, though just saying that is not the same thing as actually being in the midst of violence, in the midst of riots, uh, those sorts right. of things. But I do think that's, that is one way maybe of approaching it, that um, you know, what we are seeing is, is the destruction of something. Um, and if the destruction of, of that thing is uh, ultimately for a good in the, in the class struggle, that shouldn't be something that, that scares us. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you find yourself talking to conservatives or those that are prosperity gospel evangelicals or I mean, I, I, I'm curious to the extent that there is success talking to your brethren that have a different political theology do insofar as you are successful in, in kind of teaching them about the evils of capitalism. Is it from a theological or political perspective? Is it about using scripture or is it about showing uh, kind of the nature of political economy and the nature of what is as, as it regards capitalism. What, what have you found in that regard? Yeah, I found throwing Bible verses at people definitely does not, <laughs> not, <laughs> not so work. Yeah. Um, uh, again, because that's just not really what the Bible is. And um, I'm working on a piece on this right now as to why simply quoting scripture at, at conservatives and, huh? and hypocrites doesn't, doesn't work. Um, you know, my dad is a pretty good example. My dad's a, a pastor, and over the last few years, a lot of the, the conversations that we've had about these things, he sent Medicare for all. Um, I don't think he will ever identify as a socialist, but he does get this problem at the heart of, of capitalism. Again, he sees it more in the ways it produces inequality, um, the like poverty, things like that. Um, he read the book... Uh, Nordic theory of everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a really good yeah. case for like just a good welfare state. Um, Anu Partinen, yeah, I've read that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it has this weird like explicit anti-socialist moment that I wish it didn't have, but it, it does make a, a, my dad's a very reasonable person. Um, you know, I think the, I, I don't, um, I try not to limit like what is possible in talking to people about these things and organizing. Um, you know, there's really interesting study that I, don't think I'm quoting wrong, but I, I don't know if I can find it super quickly. But I remember reading about um, that most people, when they showed up to their first pro-life event, did not identify as pro-life, um, and that later identified as pro-life. Uh, so that says like a couple things, right? Like they didn't have these pro-life views before they showed up to the event. They didn't even identify as pro-life. They probably came because their church was organizing for it or because their friend invited them or because a politician they thought was good. But like, um, and then the other is this uh, book, oh, what's it called? Um, Uncivil Agreement that I think just came out recently. And uh, she found that, again, when you look at both either pro-life or pro-choice, um, what determines people's political activism is not the like how strong their views are on either pro-life or pro-choice um, or the extremity of their views. 
it's whether or not they identify as pro-life or pro-choice. Um, so I think that says something too about like how, how we form our convictions, um, how people change. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us, particularly those of us that that read things like Herbert McCabe a lot, think that that it's handing people a book or a conversation or things like that. But for a lot of people, it's when you change and when you begin identifying with a group. And I think same thing with me, right? Like, yeah, I became a democratic socialist uh, right after, right in the, the middle of the primary with Bernie. Um, so now I'm identifying as a democratic socialist and had some sort of vague, some like probably more fleshed out ideas than a lot of people. But since then, I have then filled in the ideas. I have figured, you know, I've figured out how to be politically active in it. But there's a, a process of identify, identification and joining a group um, that I think a lot of liberals and progressives leave off the table. And it's part of what we're trying to do at the church, right? Like, um, yeah. we are not saying you have to come here. Uh, you have to be a socialist to come here. We're really, we'll talk about socialism and capitalism. Um, but things like that Workers Anonymous group, like, how people change their convictions um, is a is a it's just a matter of way greater complexity, um, and and oftentimes it means identify people seeing something either a group they want to be a part of or people that are caring for them. Um, that's how so many evangelical churches grow. You can argue that it's you know misleading or deceptive or things like that, but I just think that's how our that's how our political convictions change, and then that's how we act on them, and we see that in, in a variety of different ways. Yeah. Um, probably should wrap things up here pretty soon, but uh, I've just got one more question for you. You know, you, you wrote this uh, Vox piece about how Pete Buttigieg is not inaugurating a new religious left. Um, you know, and we, we've seen a lot of, a, a lot of sort of like you know, articles or think pieces about this saying like, oh, is the, you know, the religious left going to come back? And really seems like, no, I mean, like the fastest growing group of Americans, religiously speaking, is unaffiliated. Um, but do you see uh, in non-Buttigieg, uh, you know, theology and, and practice and so on, any kind of, you know, a potential to to revitalize, uh, you know, and an, a lefty uh, religious tradition in this country because it, it it is the fact that America is extremely religious compared to you know most European countries, and you know that's it's like a, a, a you know a possible thing there. Yeah, I um, I think it's possible. Um, I think, okay, I think there's, I don't think we're likely to see a big religious revival in America generally. Just the trends, particularly in terms of church membership and attendance, have been trending downwards for like 40, 50 years. And some of that's because they just spiked from like 45 to 60 in the countries. Yeah. So some of that's just like the number of religious people is going to drop compared to like that, that time period. Um, what I do see is I do see a lot of people, um, both like anecdotally and just kind of looking at some of the data of like, we definitely know if we use the, the sort of Democratic Party as a, a proxy for like people's, we know that like Democrats are leaving church. Um, that's just like the number of Democrat, people who vote Democrat, um, you know, are, are leaving church. Um, my guess is it's 
pretty similar to people that just don't vote. Um, we also know that like younger people, right, are reacting against capitalism, um, trending towards socialism. And what I find is like there are a lot of people who leave churches um, because they are angry, they're hurt, particularly around matters of race or gender or sexuality, um, that that the church really harmed them in some ways. They like they may have a desire to go to church, but they also see like real barriers to them being in it. But I also see a lot of people um, who just like, they just stopped going in college. They just stopped, like, it just kind of fell yeah. out and they don't have an actual antagonism towards church. Um, but they have also developed or are in the process of developing these sort of lefter politics um, and are looking for places where those can come together. A, a buddy of mine who's a, an organizer with SEIU, who's, uh, whose mom is a Methodist pastor, um, kind of followed that story and just said like, yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, like, I like my mom. She's great. Like her church, I just stopped going. I didn't, and, um, he and I were hanging out one night and he just stopped me, uh, as we were talking, he's like, I really want to go to your church. And like, that's not something you hear very often as a pastor. Like, um, yeah. and, and that's so cool. I, so I think there is, uh, on sort of the church side, there is an opportunity there, um, that there are people that are looking to put together a, a left politics that takes into account something like what McCabe talks about. Um, from the political side, I just, as I kind of said in the Buttigieg piece, like, uh, it's going to be the degree to which the religious left is actually left when it comes to capitalism. Um, that, that, uh, that to me, I think there is an opportunity there just because America, while it is becoming far less religious than it was, um, still, I mean, that's just in the water, uh, here, or at least yeah. it is, it, it, and it's in people's lives and has been. Um, so I think the moment is kind of now, um, once there is a generation and a half that is sort of lost or that has kind of moved on from church, um, I think there is an opportunity right now of, of people who have not completely given up on the idea of church that are still habituated to it in some way, um, but that are looking for it to offer, um, a voice and to speak to and organize around these things that are, are really affecting their lives. And that's, that's capitalism. Right. And I, and I yeah. think whether the politicians or the pastors speak in a way that gives kind of uh, just a, I think your point, your piece on Buddhist judge was great because it, you could either invoke Christianity in a way that doesn't actually illustrate any of the problems inherent in capitalism and doesn't do any of the work that would help people seek, right, that critical analysis that McCabe does so well. Um, or you can do what McCabe does and what you're doing. And that difference is the difference between the Pharisees and actually Jesus Christ himself, right? Like, <laughs> right? And so, so you're going to have the, the religious language used one way or the other. And, and I think it's pretty clear which will be effectacious, right, uh, for the left and which won't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's running for president and I'm just a guy in Chapel Hill. So I'm like, I'm not sure. For now. For now. <laughs> for right now. Actually, I would like to announce my... <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that's right. Yeah, religious language is, is going uh, to be to be used. It's the, the degree to which you... What you want to put it to use for. And I think there are just... I think there are resources there that, that pretty much no one on the like liberal progressive... Uh, I have not seen make its way into the sort of popular uh, 
discourse, but that's also because it's very new. It's new for me. It's new for a lot of us. The the language that we're learning of, of the the real thorough criticism of capitalism and a, a vision of what socialism could be. And so we'll see how that gets put together. It's it's a really live project for me. I enjoy getting through projects like that or writing writing opportunities like that are my way of kind of putting that trying it out basically and, and applying yeah. these like real world. But you're part of a great history though, right? Like liberation theology has a great history. Martin Luther King Jr. was a democratic socialist. Like there's a great history of the Christian left in, in a truly radical revolutionary movement in, in terms of understanding Christian praxis in this way that you're, you're part of, right? Yeah. Well, and, and, um, I referenced it in that piece, uh, historian Heath Carter's book, Union Made. I mean, like, this also isn't a new problem. Like, that book, the working people were just leaving the churches in droves uh, because at the the um, the height of the Gilded Age, it was very obvious which side the, the churches were on. They were yeah. either taking the side of the capitalists who were enriching them and building these big cathedrals, uh, or they were trying their best to stay neutral and, and kind of keep keep the peace, which, you know, McCabe addresses. It's like, no, you're on the side of the capitalist at that point. Yeah. So I guess, you know, all the way back to your point, Ryan, like I see a lot of people that are just like working people are leaving the church um, and, or are leaving yeah. churches. And that provides an opportunity, um, uh, an opportunity to rethink what we've been doing. And, and a lot of this is like um, just born out of like, me and the pastors that I work with and our sort of core group of congregants right now just going like, well, what if we're not that weird? Like, what if there are actually people out there that are are wondering about the same kind of questions that we have about how all this fits together and that can see a potential uh, for something in in a, a communal life of a church that we don't find anywhere else? And, um, and I mean, I think it, also I'm just like, I, I don't know what else I would do. Like I don't like I really wouldn't know what yeah. what other um, institutional sort of organization to to put myself into, um, and so you know we'll give it a shot. We'll we'll report back and let you know if we have sparked <laughs> and the. And that's kind of where faith comes in, right? Oh yeah, it'll work or it won't. <laughs> that's the way I like to to put it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I, I, as as I've gotten older, you know, I, I used to see, oh, look, you know, people leaving, people, be, the country's becoming less Christian. That's a good thing, um, but you know, insofar as it's like less reactionary evangelical stuff, maybe so. But uh, I also think, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, very promising traditions there. You know, you, you listen to the sermons of MLK. You know, this like um, the Lincoln's second inaugural. You know, the about the uh, you know the justice of the the violence of the Civil War. It very ties into the McCabe uh, uh, article, actually. Um, the you know the 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 judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, um, <laughs> even even if uh, uh, every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid with another drawn by the sword. Amazing how it sticks in your head. Um, the uh, that's promising, you know, and 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 um, one 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 hopes that. Well, yeah, I think that's back. been helpful for me is discovering like uh, or someone. I mean, Terry Eagleton's not that far. 
back in history, but like discovering there is a tradition, um, and there are just people that have have dealt with this. Even um, uh, you know, if weren't the people that I was taught in Sunday school or uh, the typical kind of church. But you're changing that. You're changing what's taught in Sunday school, baby. And get yeah. on you for yeah. that. <laughs> right. and, and, oh, we're still gonna do the Bible, uh, but we'll do some yeah. Bible other stuff too. Yeah. It's not yeah. about the Bible. It's about how the Bible interacts with our understanding of the world. And, and God bless you for showing the evils of capitalism are integral to that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, thank you, John. Thank you for joining us. I hope you come back again. We want to hear more about all the debt relief you're doing for your parishioners and all the activism and all the beautiful theological work you're doing that incorporates all these important understandings that will hopefully one day lead to a revolution that overthrows capitalism and that lets us live in unity of love with one another. (laughs) Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Talk to you again soon. Cool. Adios. Last but not least, we have a friendly reminder that we have a Patreon. You can support the show with $5 a month and get an extra episode every week. Uh, We really appreciate the support and it helps us keep this going.